Hello, and welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. Let us preach to your choir or stroke your ire as we spiral down memory lane with cult classics, Jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with traffic. What we lack in education, we make up for with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your guest host, Milk Surface. Here today is a very special reverse guest that's been reserved till now, a writer, comedian, musician, podcast host, possibly host to an alien parasite, pansexual Peruvian who studies psychology, movies, and your mom. Hey. It's Mixtape Majesty. <laughs> Howdy. Thank you so much, guest host Milk Surface. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being on the show today. I also loved your edits to the intro. I want to stroke everybody's ire. Mm-hmm. Brought to you by Dyslexia. <laughs> Yay. Sponsored by Dyslexia. More more like Dyslexia. <laughs> hey got him (laughs) this is like kind of a celebration of like uh anniversary right oh yeah sure sure i mean that's what i thought you said i mean we had talked about doing this uh reverse cowgirl episode and then i also realized that i started this podcast in june and so i was like oh we could do it in june and it would be like a nine-year anniversary episode it won't come out in june but we recorded it in june (laughs) it'll be the nine-year anniversary of the second episode because the second episode came out in july 2013 see there you go yeah are you ready for segment one i'm so ready uh what was the first movie you remember seeing in theaters oh you know when i said i'm so ready just now i was hella lying <laughs> i just <laughs> remembered that i did not consider these questions in advance i've only been thinking about the movie we're talking about today and not these questions however the first movie i was actually taken to was probably the lion king but i have zero memory of that the first movie i remember seeing with vivid memories is titanic when i was uh seven or eight years old and i learned about hotties dying <laughs> Do you remember your feelings about Totan- Totanic? Totanic? Titanic? <laughs> More like Titanic. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, Titanic isn't quite a kid's movie, though I, I think I think a lot of family took their kids to see it for the sake of like, it's educational. Yeah, historical drama, not realizing yeah. there's boobies. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the Titanic itself was like a kid obsession in the 90s. Oh, the, the like ship? The, the ship, not the movie. <laughs> I suppose so. I wasn't amongst my compadres, but maybe. I mean, for me and the people around me as children, because children are people too, it was dinosaurs in space. Dinosaurs is a pretty common one. Dinosaurs are cool. We've all heard my episode though. (laughs) Did Titanic have like any impression on you? Yeah, I loved it. It led to me buying the first CD I ever bought, which was the Titanic original soundtrack. I love the Celine Dion song. Definitely had a crush on Leonardo. The turtle? Yeah, on the turtle that's in the movie. He's playing the cello. Mm-hmm. It was probably the first time I saw boobs, although I don't think that made a big thing on me because I had those books as a kid that where it was like, nudity is normal. And so like, I guess it was the first on-screen boobs. I had picture books with boobs in them. So that part didn't stand out to me so much as the romantic scenes and the fact that the, the musicians kept playing as the ship was sinking. And of course, I heard from like TV segments of like that really happened and I was like wow people are people are interesting if you've been an artist your whole life and you know you're going down might as well do what's been torturing you your whole life (laughs) 
those musicians were like sugar i'm going down i don't know that song <laughs> you got close enough yeah so do you remember the first movie you saw without supervision just raw dog theater i do remember my first raw dog theater because this is like one of my golden moments i don't even have to try to remember this because it's still one of my favorite memories where i have these favorite memories that i'll just revisit just to give my brain some serotonin and this is one of them when i was in fourth grade i met my best friend rachel when we moved to a new town and I had zero other friends except for Rachel and then through Rachel I made friends with two other lovely children <laughs> and people, uh, people. <laughs> but then sadly I moved away I moved every year so I had lots of different best friends but she was one of my favorite best friends I'd ever had like we just had so much fun together just goofing around we were little little comedians or we certainly thought we were and then I moved away the following year was pretty devastated at that the loss of that friendship in person we stayed pen pals and then the following summer she was able to come visit me and my mom was busy so she couldn't like watch us so she was like I'm just gonna drop you guys off at the mall which also has a movie theater give you $20 you can go get some candy and go see a movie but she was actually busier longer than the length of a movie so we got to watch two movies back to back we went to the candy store in the mall and fucking stocked up and I guess we must have done math which I'm really proud of us that we were able to do enough math to buy just enough candy that we still had money to see two movies yeah just loaded our pockets and then we do went you remember the candy I don't remember remember the candy but I know I know what I would have gotten just because it has not changed which is just sour candy I would have gotten like sour straws sour strips Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, one of the most recent messages you sent me was recommending <laughs> sour gummy bears. That was just a video of me delusionally <laughs> rambling about sour bears. Yeah, not a text message, a full video. So yeah, you're you're definitely a sour enthusiast. Sour enthusiast, sour through and through. Uh, what were the two movies you saw? We saw Rat Race, which was a comedy that I'm Googling to find information about it for you. I'm very familiar with Rat Race. Oh. Oh. It is one of the most memorable depictions of narcolepsy, oh. which is a disease I have. It is, and I do remember that. It's not exactly accurate, but as a narcoleptic, I still think it's funny. So that came out in 2001. Did you know you had narcolepsy then? No. Should have. <laughs> <laughs> Lost signs, but no. So you didn't feel represented at the time? No. And, and I also should say it's more so demonstrating cataplexy in the movie. For those of you interested, you can Google that. So it's a cat that goes to sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you like Rat Race? I loved it. And it was a really good example of one of those times. I don't think my taste has changed vastly from when I was a child, which I know is weird. But in the case of Rat Race, I learned a really important lesson, which is which is if you see movies with friends or people you really like, it can be a totally different experience than otherwise. Because if I watched this movie alone back then, 100% positive I would not have enjoyed it. Maybe I would have been like okay with it, whereas now I'm fairly confident I would take issue with it <laughs> these days. What was more important than the movie was just that Rachel and I had such a blast just goofing around and there was barely anyone else in the theater because it was like 2 p.m. <laughs> on a weekday. So I loved the experience. You don't see it a lot in movies, but you don't know who the like hero is, the protagonist, because there's all the different groups. So like you as a viewer kind of pick who you can root for. Do you remember who you were hoping would win? I should clarify that I remember zero things about this film. No matter. It's just a bunch of people in this huge race to get to a locker that has like a ton of money in it. Sounds like comedy. Yeah, it's... Um... <laughs> 
So, so after the race concluded, uh, what was next? We then watched Rush Hour 2, starring Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Neither one of us had seen the first film, and it did not matter. No, I can't imagine it does. A lot <laughs> of rushing, though. A lot of rushing, and that's all I remember. There was martial arts, I believe. Do you remember anything specific about Rush Hour? I, rem- I remember loving it. And that Rachel and I had an equally fun time watching it. And that is all. All movies you don't really remember the plot of at all. Yeah. <laughs> How has this set the tone of uh, your relationship with movies? Well, that's a really good encapsulation probably of my relationship with movies. I actually have a, a creepy memory that like creeps people out with my ability to remember conversations from start to finish. But uh, yeah, I generally remember my feelings about things much more than I being able to describe plot points and stuff like that. Totally understandable. Cinema is meant to invoke feeling. Remembering that is important. You're clearly more than uh, just a casual watcher of movies. How would you say this podcast has changed your view on movies? I think um, when I started doing this podcast, it was definitely a more casual thing where I was just, I just had a really fun time talking to friends about movies. And I was just like, this is fun. And I don't barely know what a podcast is, but what if we did this on a podcast? And that was it. That was, there was no deep thought behind it. No formula or any further plan than that. But as the show has gone on, I've started realizing how much emotion and feelings come up when people talk about movies and how they experience them, even if there's someone who sees themselves as a casual viewer. Everyone has these really compelling experiences with the films that they see and when they saw them and how they interacted with their life and their their view on the world. That's caused me to evolve the formula of the podcast and it's just given me more respect for the way that movies influence and affect people and fit into our lives yeah because i mean sometimes they're not good movies and they they make all the difference to a person yeah in the the whole history of the show i believe you typically watch the movie before an episode right yeah except for mine yeah Um, (laughs) because i had already seen it yeah yeah okay uh What has been your favorite movie of all the ones you've watched for the show? It would probably be Bend It Like Beckham in great part because I loved it so much. Like I cried at stuff that there that didn't need crying because it was so groundbreaking and just so needed. And I never would have watched it if I hadn't been for Priya Rani Kumar, the guest and friend that was on that episode who suggested the movie because as we talked about on that episode it was marketed as a rom-com starring Kira Knightley I have no interest in rom-coms and no particular interest in Kira Knightley like it there's nothing about that that stood out to me as being special or unique when it is actually a very special and unique movie that is actually starring Parminder Nagra and it is not a rom-com it's just about Parminder's character coming of age in an Indian family in Britain and there's some soccer or football going on but this is a very fun heartwarming comedy coming of age film about friendship marketing has ruined so many movies it really has you and brie talked about it about jennifer's body about yeah. the marketing was so off base but also almost impacted the movie in major ways and then people kind of had to stand up for that great episode everyone listening to this should go find that if they <laughs> haven't already moving on to 
<laughs> was there any movie that like you watched and you didn't like think much of it but then once you heard the guests talk about it, it really changed your view on it not that I recall very strong set in your ways and feelings <laughs> yeah it's fairly rare I think that I would have that I would have a strong initial reaction that changes like if my initial reaction isn't strong then I'm not even giving weight to it so I'd be more likely to just forget what I was even feeling. Understandable. Well, then last question before we get into the, the real topic of today's episode. Ooh. Tell me about one of your favorite movies of all time and why. Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't prepare for this either. Wow. You, you were too busy doing my homework for the show <laughs> that you didn't do your own. <laughs> Well, there was another movie you were considering for this episode. Yeah, but this question is supposed to be different than the featured film question. So my featured film question that I ask guests is think of a movie that that you would say changed your life that had like a huge major impact on you, which a movie that had that impact on you might not necessarily be your favorite movie. Like I'm not even asking people to choose movies that they like or love, just something that had a big impact on how they see life, how they see people, how they see movies or it influenced them to choose a certain career, or it's a movie that they just like play and repeat in the background as a comfort film, even if they, they like think it's bad. So then this question is supposed to be different in that it's one that you genuinely love. But in this case, the movie that I chose impacted my life and I genuinely love. <laughs> the other movie that I considered was Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise did not have a big impact on my life. I just love it. So why do you love it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Phantom of the Paradise 1977 is a dramatic musical horror opera that preceded Rocky Horror Picture Show is better than Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, that's not and hard. Without which the creation of Rocky Horror would not exist. And yes, it's not hard to be better than Rocky Horror. It's not a great film, though Tim Curry is a great actor and has great legs. I gotta say the the play has been a uplifting and greatly positive experience for a lot of queer people and getting to perform it. Like, I, I'm appreciative of it. I just personally don't enjoy the movie whatsoever. Yeah, and I have to say, yeah, anytime I say a, a movie is bad, what, what I'm actually saying is I don't enjoy it. And when I say I don't enjoy a movie, it is not a moral judgment of the movie or the people who enjoy it it's simply an opinion although now i can't do the time warp i just don't have it in my hips anymore good but back to your musical which is better i wonder how i'd compare it to uh, repo my favorite dark musical but but tell us about your feelings of this movie and why you love it so much i love phantom of the paradise because the artist in me and the part of me that just loves film as an art form gets so much happy chemicals from the beats of this film the the cinematography the way they chose to edit certain things there's some really cool camera tricks throughout the film including there's some scenes where they play two videos side by side so you see what's happening at the front of the stage like that the audience can see and then you also see what's happening behind the stage at the same time like it's like side by side there's some scenes where the characters are looking directly into the camera and talking directly to the camera because they're actually talking to like the villain, but they're looking into your eyes and talking to you when they're actually like, what's next, boss? Like type of thing. <laughs> and it's just 
beautiful. It's just beautifully made. It's not without its flaws. There's some like sexist uh, trigger warning, rapey stuff in it. Not that not on screen rape or anything, but there's some consent issues that it's portrayed like it's supposed to be bad. It's like something the bad the bad guy is doing, but they also could have handled it better or just left it out. You can show someone's bad without showing them harming women on screen. But also the soundtrack is phenomenal. I I've always loved musicals. I love music and the costumes are amazing and it's also hilarious it's over the top it knows what it is and it doesn't hold back meow when was the last time you saw it we watched it in a zoom party for my birthday in december 2020 well that sounds like a pretty rad movie i definitely will watch this and not confuse it with phantom of the opera (laughs) i'm sure you get that a lot i should also say phantom of the paradise is based on the story of faust Faust? Faust. I'm familiar with the name because that's often a reference people use when making necromancer characters. Oh. Yeah, yeah. This is normally the space where the ads go, but this time I'm instead going to tell you about our 200th Twitter follower, Sean Faust. Transcending genre, Sean Faust walks his own path. Refusing to surrender to the restrictions of musical genre, Sean combines his passion for all things music into a distinct sound that is unmistakably his own. If you were to combine the essence of 90s alternative rock and the progressive rock of the 70s, you would then begin to understand the sounds created by songwriter Sean Faust. Alternative, diverse, consistent, you know you're listening to Sean Faust. This copy has been taken from Sean Faust's website, seanfaustmusic.com. Now, as you know, they are going to turn on the Large Hadron Collider again, which we know will lead to some fluctuations in timelines. And in the new timeline that Sean Faust will soon be partaking of, he will find that his favorite pair of sneakers do not quite fit him the same way they used to. So he's going to go to the store to get a new pair of sneakers. But once he gets to the store, he's going to find that this isn't really where he's supposed to be at all because it wasn't the shoes that don't fit. It's the mindset, man. So he's gonna take his shoes home, but on the way home, he's going to see a bird that reminds him of a friend back home. And he's gonna call that old friend and talking to that old friend is going to inspire him to suddenly come into a large sum of money. This This has been Future Future Predictions Predictions with with Mixtape Majesty. Majesty. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Let's get to the main movie, which gotta say, very on brand for, you know, alien royalty themselves, state majesty. (laughs) This 1997 sci-fi drama was adapted from a story by Carl Sagan and his wife, Anne Druyan. They wrote it in 1979 to be turned into a movie, but filming was delayed for so long that Sagan released it as a book instead in 1985. Plans to turn the book into a movie continued with Roland Geoff was set to direct it, but he dropped out in 1990. George Miller was then hired, and then depending on who you ask, either Warner Bros. fired him, or according to Miller, they mutually parted ways. In 1995, Robert Zemeckis of Back to the Future fame was then brought on to direct this project. 
with Zemeckis as director, filming ran from September 1996 to February 1997, and then it was released in July 1997. Sadly, Carl Sagan died in December of 1996 and thus did not see the final film. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Did you know all that? (laughs) Wow. Interesting facts. Do you have your summary of the movie then, of of the plot? Contact is the story of Ellie Arroway, who is a, starts out as a girl at the beginning of the movie, who's very interested in astronomy and stars and has a lovely father who then passes away, but then she continues to pursue her love of astronomy In a very big way, most specifically, she really wants to talk to aliens. And that leads her to working with SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, which is a real organization, in an effort to see if we're getting any messages from other life forms in the universe. So she's really devotes her whole life to this, is working with satellites. She's a hardcore scientist, researcher but not taken super seriously by some of her colleagues because they're like, aliens, that's crazy. We only believe in stars, big burning balls of gas in the sky. And her journey eventually leads her to getting a freaking message from an unknown source, during which time she also runs across an extremely hot young man, played by Matthew McConaughey, who adores her. They, they clearly adore each other instantly, but they part ways because she's got to focus on her career, man. She ain't got time for, for that. And also she's deeply traumatized from the loss of her father. So she's too scared to love again. Anyway, they get them. She gets a message from aliens. It takes a while for them to figure out where it came from and what it is, but eventually they figure it out that it's instructions from someplace outside of earth on how to build a spaceship of some kind or some kind of interstellar machine so they build it there's a lot of controversy it's very it's hard to build it at first but eventually they get it built but so a man gets to take credit for everything and ends up being the one who is going to go in this machine which they don't even know what the machine is going to do but he gets to be the one to test it and find out but there's a terrorist who loves jesus and so he kills everybody And then, surprise, a rich guy was secretly funding a second interstellar machine, and he chooses Ellie Arroway, our main character, played by Jodie Foster, who I love and adore. She gets to go in this one. So she does, and the machine opens up a wormhole that she travels down and sees her dad, but it's not really her dad. It's the aliens using that the form of her dad to communicate with her. To let her know, like, hey, welcome, you made it. Uh, we've been doing this for billions of years. Um, and this is just like step one. And uh, now that you've had step one, the other steps will will like come eventually. And she's like, but when? But what do I tell people? And they're like, you'll figure it out. Like everyone else did. Bye. <laughs> and so she goes back to Earth. And then Earth is like, nah, that didn't happen. We don't believe you. And the movie ends. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting to hear what like key details you kind of skipped over there. Oh, not that like they 
are significant plot points, but I think they're significant thematic points. You know, you mentioned that the terrorist is like a religious fanatic that destroys the first ship, but that kind of theme is put into the movie in several places of like this somewhat subtle religious villain in the sense that like it's not quite the villain but people make it to be uh because the hottie that she was super into ended up becoming like the religious counselor for the united states or whatever spiritual advisor yes yeah yeah. government pope And he was part of the force to like decide who who they should send on this trip. Faith ended up being a big part of that. And yeah, the guy's like, oh, I lied. It wasn't because you didn't have faith. It's because I was so into your your rock and personality and brain and bod. But I, I mean, I think the faith was a part of it. And then also the whole alien thing, you know, at first wasn't really about aliens. She was like kind of wondering if her mom was in space, I remember. So like there was this religious undertone throughout the whole movie about what space and everything was. And then when Earth didn't believe it, she she was like, you know, have faith. She never said that, but that's what people inferred from there. So it was this movie a lot about faith, whether it's faith in the aliens, faith in science, faith in numbers. You know, the, we, there's the scene of like when the chair is like ripped away in the spacecraft to show like when she was like, oh, can't we have faith in like what they said and not add like this chair and holster and just do what they said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's a huge theme in so many different ways. It's it's portrayed both as bad and good and just, yeah, a lot of a lot of different depictions of faith. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear your perceptions of the film. And I think part of it comes from just the fact that I've seen it over and over. I've probably seen this movie like 10 times. I saw I watched it over and over as a kid and then I've seen it probably five times as an adult over the years. So my perceptions are also based on just forming slowly shifting and solidifying opinions over years of having seen it and experienced it so much. And then also just from being different people. From my perception, I don't believe that she thought her mom was in space. There's introductory scenes where her mom has passed away. She's maybe like eight and she has a radio. I don't know what you call those things. I think it came from just like, what if I can imagine as a kid, if you wake up from a nightmare in the night, you call out mom I see it as being the same energy as that like she's just scared and sad and so she's just calling mom into one of the places that you can yell for mom not that she really thinks it's possible yeah and she and her father are not religious there's like a point made of that so she also doesn't believe in an afterlife and so it's sort of the journey of someone who doesn't believe in an afterlife coming to terms with what it means to entirely just lean on science and I've seen a lot of people say that this movie demonizes or villainizes faith or spirituality and that's so funny to me because I literally see it as the opposite and as someone who was raised in a Christian household that was had a lot of traumatic aspects to it and it was very we're better than everyone else and everyone has to do it the way we do it and everyone's going to hell if they do certain things you have to do everything a certain way and did not have a good experience with that that led to me leaving because it seemed so hateful to me seemed like a very hateful organization and just didn't make sense to me it like didn't make logical sense it didn't make sense in terms of just being kind to other people in terms of that I have then come around to seeing the benefit of spirituality and faith when it comes to community when it comes to making connection 
as long as you're not using it to hate. And that's something I love about Matthew McConaughey's character, who is a father, a a pastor, but he's non-denominational. So he actually is not a Christian. He's not of a particular faith. He's just a spiritual advisor, not like a Christian advisor, which is very important to his character that I think that's something he really understands. And he's almost approaching faith from a scientist perspective, which is to be open-minded and to accept that you never really know and to like be comfortable with not knowing like radical acceptance which is the opposite of a lot of people who operate in faith from fear which is what leads to them acting out in hate and I think that's the backbone of the film is actually finding harmony between faith and science and illustrating that if you lean too heavily on either one you're gonna end up hurting people and staying small and sad. I'd say everything in the movie that was depicted as like bad in one way is also depicted good in another. It's all about balances. Yeah. It's really a movie of like, this is how things can go wrong in any direction. Make up your own mind. I mean, in the very end of the film, is something she says is just, you know, you need to go find your own answers about what you believe. She doesn't tell the kids what she experienced because it's about letting people decide for themselves where they stand on everything. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you saw this? Not specifically. I know I was eight. I know I felt like I was the same age as, as Ellie is in the opening scenes, but I don't remember much besides that besides definitely crying when dad dies and as I still did and always will marveling at the amazing mirror scene the mirror shot that was pretty good the the shot where she's running down the hall yeah for you to kind of realize she's running towards the mirror of the medicine cabinet yeah such a cool shot and I imagine I don't know how much you've talked about this on the show but as a child, you were really familiar with movie making, like like some of the behind the scenes of like how movies are made, right? Yeah. At, at this point, did you already have that knowledge and that's why you're kind of impressed by that scene? It might have been partially why. It, it's more just, I don't know, I just think anyone will be amazed by that scene because it's, it's a little head trip because you think you're seeing one thing and then that thing changes. And there, I don't think there's been any other movie that's done exactly that camera trick yeah not not that I can think of it was pretty impressive do you remember any time when your opinions about the movie changed some like evolution feelings of, of this movie throughout the years for the most part no for the most part I've stayed very consistent with my feelings about this movie I think they've only gotten stronger I think I used to understand more why Ellie rejects Palmer the romantic interest and just focuses on her career. Like I under, I understood that conceptually and was aware of like, oh, that's cool that it, it's not going to turn into just a romance film that she gets to actually have a life and independent life outside of a man, even though she does is clearly interested in, in him. But the way that that's changed over time is that I have less respect now for how she handles it. And that's based on my own experiences in relationships. So they meet up, they clearly have instant chemistry, are clearly interested in each other. She kind of gets triggered and that leads to her ghosting, like no communication at all. Just to clarify, if you're not comfortable with someone, totally okay to just cut off contact. But it should be just an adult, just a normal adult respectful thing you do is you simply tell them and you don't have to excuse it. It doesn't have to be a long explanation. You don't have to convince them. You simply say, 
this just isn't right for me right now. Or you can say, I'm focusing on my career right now. Have a great life. Just something, something at all. And I think not doing that is like deeply cruel, actually. I would agree. I mean, the the next scene is just her in pretty much an empty house and, you know, deciding not to call him when she she couldn't text. She'd have to call him on her rotary phone, you know, spin all nine of those numbers. Uh, (laughs) And instead it then cuts to what's 13 months later that she has just been plugging away at, at getting funding. She made the decision to ghost before all of that happened. I recognize the avoidant in her as someone who studies psychology and and has a lot of experience with avoidant attachment people. It's a a trauma response. And uh, they're having this nice morning together and she gets triggered. Instead of communicating her feelings in any way, shape or form, and this isn't a criticism, I'm just saying like, I recognize what that is now and I didn't before. Instead of communicating at all what she's feeling or being truthful or honest at all, which is understandable because she just met this dude, she just leaves. She just leaves and he's like, what's going on? You seem upset. Did I do something wrong? And she's just like, nope, nope, nope. Everything's fine. Nope. Everything's fine. Which really bothers me now in a way it didn't used to bother me because I just think relationships would be so much easier if we would all just fucking communicate and not be like, oh, I shouldn't, I'm not supposed to have bad feelings. So I shouldn't talk about them. Just, just talk about them. Just communicate. But it is a very accurate depiction of that. It's very accurate. It's not a criticism. It's just a a changing of my experience of it. Seems like she does regret that later on. I want to ask, do you feel as though she kind of got into that place because he was mentioning like religious belief? Because that's what they were talking about right as this happens. No, it was because he he brought up her dad and like picked up the picture of her dad and put it in her face. (laughs) Okay. See, I, I thought it was because of some of the stuff he was saying and she was like, okay, this is getting to me. My perception of it is was that she was pretty intrigued by the difference. I think they were both intrigued by each other's differences and maybe even aroused by each other's differences, which I can relate to because they actually both approach their passions in exactly the same way. They just happen to be different passions is something that draws them together. And my perception of that scene was that she was reminded by seeing that photo of like, oh my God, when you love someone deeply, you have to accept that you can lose them forever. And instead of even risking the possibility of loving someone deeply again and thus risking losing someone again, I'm just going to get the fuck out. And then she loses everything. I mean, she loses some funding, but she still got her friends by her side and she goes to another satellite. But yeah. Have you read the book that this was based on? I have. The book is also great. Did you prefer the book? No, I think I prefer the movie, not because I consider either one to be better than the other, but it's just such a different experience. I almost say I don't even want to compare them at all. <laughs> They're just different. Yeah. They're different pieces of art. I will say the movie is a movie for a reason. You know, that there are visual elements that are integral to the story. Yeah. The way the story is portrayed as a movie. I, I didn't read the book for homework. this. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the, the visuals they portrayed of like, you know, going through space and what it's doing to her and the perception of reality. And then even just like the weird camera tricks they do on her face when she's talking about how, how beautiful something is, but yeah. it's not showing it. That was very weird. It was very weird. Very cool. Um, 
and it's like all lens tricks, I believe. So it's like, oh, it's CGI. What they wait, did was it? Yeah, they used like groundbreaking CGI in this movie where they did a lot of combining stuff and a lot of I forget what it's called, but layering layering of different footage including like bill clinton is in this movie but he's not in this movie because that was existing <laughs> yeah. footage that they edited with layers and layers and that those layers i didn't know for the longest time and what they're doing is they're layering the child actress jenna malone who played young ellie they're layering her face over jodie foster's face which i never picked up on i was just like huh her face is warping for some reason that's interesting that makes it a little more tiny whiny as they say <laughs> yeah How, how's the movie like changed your life I think it probably, oh, you know what? I forgot that I have notes on my phone. I'm going to pull them up. Oh, you're allowed one note card, front and back, no three dimensions. <laughs> this movie changed my life in that it helped me define a bunch of ideas I already had. It made it made the ideas I already had feel validated and seen, which a lot of that is just the overall theme that the world is what we make of it, that we have to make our own choices and that ultimately like kindness and believing in each other is the most important thing more important than science and money and looking cool and being the top dog <laughs> there's a quote in the movie in all our searching the only thing that makes the emptiness bearable is each other and that I feel like that defines just how I see life and I know it's not entirely because of the movie but like I said it sort of helped me narrow that idea down and made me feel validated it also set a very unrealistic idea of what my ideal partner would be this character he's very confident and he has these very altruistic values and he's very confident in them he's not gonna he's not gonna bend them a strong sense of what he likes and the strong sense of what he likes comes from having seriously examined his own psyche and human nature and most importantly, in terms of interpersonal relationships, he's got a commitment to pursue uh, this love interest wholeheartedly and intimately without, I guess, a commitment to a love interest without needing to own them because Ellie is extremely independent and you get the sense that Palmer, that's one of the things that Palmer loves about her instead of needing to hold her back or stop her with the exception of the one time that he did hold her back, which was because, because he didn't want her to die in this insane interstellar machine that was beamed to them from aliens. Yeah. And I mean, it, that's just like one of the, that that's a, a mistake. You know, these characters are people that they show mistakes they make yeah. throughout the movie at different times. So with everything, if you disagree with something, it doesn't make you disagree with the movie because it kind of sets it up for you to have that freedom. Yeah, totally. The movie is really good at setting up a lot of feeling stuff, both about your own self-reflection, how you view the world, how you view yourself, faith, how you view others, how you view love. I want to say it's the most feeling and self-thought-driven sci-fi I've ever seen. Totally. Because as far as sci-fi goes, it's nothing that fantastical, especially if you compare what sci-fi stuff does nowadays. Mm -hmm. I've been watching a lot of sci-fi 
sci-fi stuff lately, just because I want to escape the current world. <laughs> I, I tend to watch more things that are like either supernatural or, or time related rather than space, but you know, lots of weird, cool concepts nowadays. And this didn't have anything pushing, but it did it need to, because the movie isn't about like, oh, radical aliens. It, it was about viewing yourself, knowing that aliens are real and no one believes you. It's about viewing your own dreams and pursuing truth more than anything you know she's not just saying they're like i'm going to look for all this because i know aliens are real it's because she wants to know yeah do you, do you think you'll keep watching this movie down the road of your life over oh. and over oh yeah for sure yeah when you watched it just a week ago and prepared for this did you take anything new from it it just the realization of how big of an impact this movie actually made on me and realizing that contact made me believe in something bigger than this life and this world in a way that God and Christianity never did, because like that's sort of what tr uh, the traditional stories of modern Western Christianity are all about believing that there's something, quote, more. There's a God up in the sky way, way up there, and there's a hell way, way down underground that there's something more than just the tangible things that we can put our fingers on. And I always had a hard time connecting with that because so much of it was so tied up in hate and believing in superiority for believing in one thing. But this movie makes me feel that like sense of awe and wonder and joy at being alive in this universe on this earth, being able to experience life as a human and being able to dare to dream that there could be more out there. This movie makes me feel that in a way that the Bible never did. <laughs> canceled. I've got to say, that's a, a pretty great feeling. Because for me, I did not grow up in a religious home, didn't find religion until I was about 13. And uh, I had a very weird church, I guess, because that's what my church was all about was just like, make up your own mind. The pastor would read the Bible more than talking his own thoughts. And when he did, it was you have to decide for yourself, just join in community. That's why we're here together as community. And so just to, to have that in any type of community of just like not focusing on the main pillars of why you're together, but just the fact that you are together is very uplifting and, and does help with the loneliness. And this movie definitely hits that in a way that can bring that feeling of like religious joy to people who might be scarred from religion, <laughs> as you kind of just demonstrated said yeah while watching this again recently with all of your experience of movies because if i understand correctly this is now the most recent movie you've seen right yes do you think it should have been nominated for anything more than just a best sound oscar that's a tricky question that's a that that's got a big answer um the short answer is Yo, I will say I asked this question just to fit this fact in and I actually know nothing about Oscars and awards because I don't watch them. I've never been interested, but I figured you would have words. Uh, So yeah, so the Oscars is a racist sham. It's all bullshit. It's run by a bunch of old white people and always has been. It might have started out in genuineness in the first couple of years, but they immediately began being extremely racist and exclusive and have not really stopped doing that in, in all of Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood is a racist white institution with a horrific history, except for the very beginning before it became this studio corporate organized thing, which you can hear more about 
in my episode about women in early Hollywood, women and people of color in early Hollywood. But uh, yeah, if if the rich people in power create an awards ceremony that only where they only can even nominate films that they choose and it's going to be bullshit. So the Oscars are complete bullshit. However, does this film deserve awards for many groundbreaking aspects of it? Yes. Does it need to be from the Oscars? No, because the Oscars is bullshit. Is there anything you would in the mixtape awards would like praise this for? The special effects, absolutely amazing. The special effects stuff that they did in this were amazing, groundbreaking, and they look amazing. It completely holds up. And maybe the acting, maybe the screenplay. So do you have any uh, last feelings on the movie that you want to get out there? I don't, but what I really want to know is what was your genuine, honest opinion of the movie Milk Service? Oh, I enjoyed it. I I didn't really know anything about it going in, which I'm glad. Uh, You even told me Matt McConaughey was in it. And because I don't know humans by name, when I saw him, I was like, oh, it's uh, the Cars dude, which it's not. That's not who that is. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew that, but that's how my brain works. And yeah, I was like, huh, I would not expect him in this movie how it felt. I felt that there were times it went a little fast at the beginning. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is weird. We're not really getting able to latch onto these characters in a way that's needed. Mm. And then I was wrong because (laughs) you do feel that later on. And it did kind of feel like a fast paced movie at times, despite being two and a half hours long. Yeah. Very good film. Like I said, not super sci-fi. I feel like sci-fi is just the like literal genre, but is definitely more like a feelings drama about reflection yeah if I was going to tell someone what kind of film this is I I, ironically I feel like the most accurate description would be spiritual drama rather than sci-fi but of course if you say it's a spiritual drama they're going to think it's like I don't know God is not dead or whatever those like scary extremist Christian films are it's one of those movies that you can't just put into the the genre words yeah because that doesn't really describe the movie but you also can't spend two hours talking about before someone sees it yeah (laughs) so there's got to be a balance somewhere you need a an elevator pitch for this and in fact do you have one dude Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey are so hot and did you know that Carl Sagan wrote a fucking book that dude is dope and that book is a movie and you should watch it (laughs) okay I would immediately think that's like a sex space documentary (laughs) (laughs) with hot people and the fact that's Carl Sagan. But that would probably get a lot of people to watch. So for those of you out there listening and think more people need to see this movie, tell them that. If you haven't seen this movie, definitely go check it out. You can rent it on YouTube for $4 or buy it for $10, which I wish I had (laughs) because it's like, why rent anything on YouTube when it's one third of the price of owning it? And it's like, I would probably watch this movie at least three times. So <laughs> just just buy it if you have the $10. Sacrifice yeah. a Chipotle. I did. I sacrificed a Chipotle and I bought the movie. And uh, everybody, just remember, bring your own popcorn. Yay. I, I changed the order of the words. Is that okay? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, good. All right. I don't want to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Thanks for being on. You've been a great guest. You've been a great host. Well, thank you.
with comedy, compassion, and camaraderie. I'm your host, Milk Surface, here today. <laughs> Hold on, I want to redo that. I'm sorry. It's okay, no worries. We have to write, rewrite that part. Milk Surface. Uh, well, the thing is, is I just read it too, like before. I'm like, I know how to like put <laughs> words in there. Like I'm a functioning human, and I got too caught up with uh, reading it. Well, no, what what held me up was I haven't said the word camaraderie. Oh yeah. So long, like I I've read it recently. Yeah. But just a word I haven't said in so long. I was yeah, like, yeah, because you only I... usually are like enemies and destruction. Yeah, because I'm such a negative person. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually usually <laughs> just say camaraderie. So. Oh yeah, camaraderie. Yeah. You can say that. Okay. Yeah, I can ruin your. No, your, do um... it. Say comedy, <laughs> compassion, and camaraderie. Okay, I'm going to. <laughs> I'm here for it. Okay. Um, also, the... also, you said stroke your ire, and let's just keep that. Oh, I didn't didn't even realize I said the wrong thing. Should I just fuck up the whole thing? Yeah, fuck it. Yeah, yeah just hello and welcome to Bring Your Own Con. Let's come to your choir and stroke your hot stroke and iron. Spiral down the cum lane with cum classics, Jurassics, and other genres that rhyme with pornography. What we lack in cum, we make up with comedy, compassion. Cummerades. I'm your cum host, Milk Surface, and here today is a very special cum guest. That's me. Okay, let's let's do it slightly pr more proper. You know what I just realized? People are always like, "Oh, I'm a cum dumpster," but it would save you a lot of time to just say that you're a cumster. A cumster. Yeah. I feel like being a cum dumpster is very cis centric, though. You know what everybody has come well we've talked about this before yeah we have talked about it before i feel like when you hear the word come a lot of people are like oh penis semen but then it's like when any person says like oh i i came or i like i shot come like you know it's like you know some words aren't gendered but or, or like implying a sexual set but it's like sometimes when it's not in context it's just like said i feel like there's a, an assumption people make i it's not an assumption i make um but i'm not people yeah i just remember because of that famous rem song everybody comes so that's yeah how i remember See, I always think of the Phil Collins song. I can feel me coming in the air tonight. And he has a penis, so. Oh, right. Well, I mean, do you know? How do you know? I do. We have, we email. Oh, gotcha. Okay. More like D-mail. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right. Okay. We're ready. You're very cool, and you always were. <laughs> Well, that's not how your script goes, but okay. <laughs> I this. Go ahead. This. 